0: First Samuel, chapter 27, beginning in verse one, it says, and David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the six hundred men who were with him to Achish, the son of Meoch, the king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, each man with his household and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the Carmelitus, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Girzites and the Amalekites and the Pepsi lights. No, there's no Pepsi lights in there. I just just wanted to see if you were paying attention. For those nations were of the inhabitants of the land were from old as you go to shore, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say. Where have you made a raid today? And David would say. Against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of the Jeremialites or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people, Israel, utterly abhor him, and therefore he will be my servant forever. We've already prayed and talked about the fact of how we identify with the life of David. We live our lives. We face larger-than-life battles. We have sincere struggles. We have jealous friends. We have unexpected trials and tests and temptations. Just like David. David experienced history-changing success. And he also experienced deep, personal failure. You probably begin to gather something. David's highs were very high. And David's lows were very low. Sound familiar? Once again, David is in trouble. Twice in the last several chapters, Saul has tried to kill David. Twice, David has spared Saul's life. Now David faces a new fork in the road of life. Where should he go? What should he do? Who should he be? What's he supposed to do with the rest of his life? And David is about to take a long, dark journey into a very real depression, a real discouragement. And the two, the chapter will address the circumstances of his depression and the reasons for his depression. There are two large reasons that begin to emerge as you read this particular chapter. David has an enemy that he can't master. And David has an expectation that he can't meet. And sometimes when you have a master who you don't know how to serve or an expectation you don't know how to meet, you sometimes go into this this spiral. The enemy he can't master is the relentless persecution and hatred of Saul and the expectation that he—how how is he supposed to meet with death hanging over his head the 600 plus lives and their families and fortunes that have joined themselves to David. You see, when a person joined David's circumstance and another person and another person and another person, you can imagine he began to feel responsible for these people. If you've ever had your own business, if you've ever been in charge of a group of people, you begin to feel responsible for these people. Their lives, their family, they mean something to you. Whether they're going to have a place to stay or whether they're going to have food to eat, whether their children are going to be medically taken care of, you begin to care about them. David's depression will lead him on a journey of personal disobedience, which will result in self-deceit. David becomes a backslider. Now, that's a word that Christians hate. Backslider. Carnal. We all have... Dark moments when life's lights go out and we find ourselves in this impenetrable fog of despair, we doubt once in a while. The real issue isn't whether or not we're going to doubt. The issue isn't whether or not we're going to find ourselves in a dark place. The issue isn't whether or not we're going to find ourselves in a discouraging place. The issue becomes when you are experiencing doubt, when you are experiencing despair, when you are experiencing discouragement, how are you going to deal with it? Howard Hendricks taught at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he a student once came into his class and he asked the student, how are you? And the student said, well, under the circumstances, I guess I'm doing pretty good. And Howard Hendricks said. What are you doing down there? What? The student said, what are you doing down there underneath the circumstances? You don't belong underneath the circumstances. And each and every person will find themselves under the circumstances or they will find themselves over the circumstances. You know, I've discovered something that a shallow bath can just as easily drown a man as an uncrossable ocean of water. You don't need a whole lot of water to drown somebody, do you? It just takes a few inches. And you can turn your face down into the bathtub And you can inhale the water and you can die. And David has to deal with doubt. Someone once said, doubt makes the mountain that faith decides to move. I love the ditty that goes, doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step Faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believes. Faith answers I. One person said every step toward Christ kills a doubt. Every thought, word, deed for him carries you away from discouragement. And David is in that exact circumstance where he is looking at the circumstances and for a moment he's going to take his eyes off the Lord. And the longer you take your eyes off the Lord and the more you face place them on the circumstances, the greater the pain. So David is going to take a journey and his journey is going to result in a lapse of judgment and disobedience and duplicity and deception. Look what it says in verse one again. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul there's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more on any part of Israel so I shall escape out of his hand. Doubt begins in the heart. And that's where it begins with David. Now think about this for just a moment. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish perish someday by the hand of Saul. Is that true? It really isn't true. God has already said, you're going to be the king of Israel. But remember, that's what happens when you take your eyes off the promise of God or or the word of God or the circumstances that God has entrusted you to. You take your eyes off the Lord and you place it on the circumstance and you say, this guy's going to kill me. This girl is going to kill me. This circumstance is going to kill me. The doubt begins not after a personal failure. But think about this. If you've read chapter 25 and chapter 26, this doubt comes not after a failure, but after a triumph. David has done what's right. Remember, Saul is after him. And Saul, remember, has come out into the wilderness and they've all camped around. And you remember the the chapter last week where Saul, along with some of his buddies, sneak into the camp and there's Saul's spear next to his head. And and one of his friends says, this is your opportunity to kill Saul. And he goes, I'm not going to do it. If I'm going to be king, I'm going to be king on God's terms. If Saul's going to disappear, God's going to have to get rid of him. You know, victories in the past don't guarantee freedom from doubt in the present. You may have said, you know, I was doing so well in the Lord last week. You know, I prayed, I read my Bible, I I trusted God, things were just going so good, and then it just blew up. You take your eyes off the Lord. This same David who wrote in Psalm 61 verses one through four, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer from the end of the earth. I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. This is the David who's Filled with doubt. This is the David who's taken his eyes off the Lord. This is the David who is focusing on his circumstances. Let me help you with something. When you talk to yourself, make sure you say things that are true. (laughs) If you find yourself talking to yourself, and it's okay to talk to yourself, But it's important that you say the right thing. David didn't say the right thing to himself. David began to doubt when he saw the circumstance from a purely human perspective. And right away, part of the challenge that you need to see right from the start in this particular passage, David begins to doubt when he takes his eyes off the Lord and he places his eyes on the circumstances. He doesn't pray. He doesn't seek the counsel of the Lord. Not even one time in this chapter. He doesn't go, I'm going to perish someday by the hand of salt. Lord, help me to think this thing through. You anoint Samuel the prophet anointed me. Gad the prophet spoke to me over and over again. I've experienced the blessing and, and the victory that's come in the person of you. Lord, you've provided for me. You've upheld me. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't pray. He doesn't seek counsel from the Lord. He doesn't seek counsel from his godly friends. And by the way, we have no record of David writing any psalms during this period of his life. Remember, as we've been going through our study in the in the book of first Samuel, I said, hey, Do you realize that this particular thing happened at this particular time? Turn in your Bible to this psalm because this is what David wrote when he was faced with these circumstances. This is what he wrote when he was faced with those circumstances. There's no psalm for these circumstances. He simply pushes the panic button and he freaks out. Have you ever done that? (laughs) Pray, can't open up your Bible. Doubt denies God. Doubt finds assistance when we take things out of God's hands and place them squarely on our own shoulders. That's what doubt does. Doubt says you can't take care of me, God. You can't change my husband. You can't change my wife. You can't change the circumstances. You can't change my feelings. You can't change the direction of my life. David feels like the only deliverance he's going to experience is if he makes it happen for himself. That's what he's thinking. If David is going to escape Saul, he has to find his own way out. And David does what many of us do when we're overwhelmed, when we give in to our fear, when we embrace the panic, when we're flooded with feelings, when we give in to our feelings, we energize the doubt and we weaken faith. And then faith is replaced with fear and we make a run for it. And that's exactly what David is doing. David now only sees the hand That is against him. David sees the hand that is against him instead of the hands that are upholding him. Look at verse two. Then David arose. And went over with 600 men. (laughs) Back in verse one, look what it says. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. David embraces the pessimism. He says, I'm going to perish. This is going to kill me. I have to ask you guys a question. Do any of you know the future? You know, you watch TV and you see the previews for 2012 and the disaster of how the earth is going to come to a collapsing close when Mayan prophecies come true. But Do you, do you think that's really true? I, mean, I don't think it's true either. If the Mayans were so smart, then uh, where are they now? No one knows the future. The only future that we know is the future that God has revealed to us by his word. Has the Bible given us some hints concerning the future? The answer is yes. Is the world going in a particular direction? Yes, it is. Is it going to end somehow? Yes, it is. Is Jesus Christ going to return to the earth? Yes, he is. Will global warming bring us into a catastrophe that will cause the planet Earth to cease to exist? I I don't think so. Did you see Al Gore on, on the Tonight Show? This guy won the Nobel Prize. On the Tonight Show, he goes, well, you know, in order for us to really take charge of geothermal energy. Well, you know, Conan, that just a few kilometers before the surface of the earth, it's millions and millions of degrees. I'm going, are you an idiot? (laughs) You've never seen the mine shafts in South Africa or even here in the United States of America. If it was millions and millions of degrees, we would be exterminated. Al Gore, it's six thousand degrees on the surface of the sun. If it were millions and millions of degrees, you wouldn't be here and you certainly wouldn't be on TV. David doesn't know the future and neither do we. But we do know what God has revealed to us. You know. When David says I will perish, counselors call this catastrophic thinking. Do you know what catastrophic thinking is? Catastrophic thinking is thinking that the worst possible thing that could happen will happen. So David plans his own escape and he forgets the triumphs. He forgets the victories. He forgets the promises. And for a brief moment, he forgets that he's been anointed by Samuel the prophet. He forgets about his supernatural triumph over Goliath. He forgets about the escape from Saul's spear. He forgets about Jonathan's encouragement. He forgets about Abigail's wisdom. He forgets about Saul's prediction. Even in the last chapter, you shall both do great things and still prevail. And doesn't that frustrate you about your own self when you go Lord why didn't I trust you you've been so faithful everything that you've said everything that you promised you would do you have done Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter two. He says, I know your works and your labor and your patience that you can't bear those who are evil. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from which you are where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. The Lord says to the church at Ephesus, remember, repent, return. And guess what? If David, if David could have just gotten a glimpse of the true and living God, the demons of doubt would have been forced to flee. And that's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. When you're faced with doubt, when you're faced with discouragement, when you find yourself in this dark, dark place. You need to remember the promises of God and the light that's been given to you. Have you, have you ever been in David's sandals? You received this glorious promise only to have it dashed to pieces on the rocks of unbelief. Just like Peter, remember when he sees Jesus walking on the water and all of a sudden he calls out to Jesus and he says, if it's really you, bid me Come. And the Lord says, Come on, Peter. And he takes a step from the boat onto the surface of the water, and he is surfing without a board. And he sees Jesus, and the waves, and the wind for a very brief moment, cause him to turn his eyes away from Jesus and on to the circumstances that could kill him. And he begins to sink. And he prays your most famous prayer. Oh! It's quick. It's easy. It's effective. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, the truth is the flesh can never be trusted. It will betray you. And remember what I've said over and over again to you. Your flesh is everything that you are apart from Christ Jesus. Your flesh is everything that you are apart from Christ Jesus. Peter swore that he would stand by Jesus even if it meant death. And you'll remember that when... Jesus was being marched away and Peter was warming himself at the fire. A little girl asked Peter, are you one of his disciples? And Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. We always have a choice. We can enter into the camp of the enemy and we can sleep with the enemy or we can trust the Lord. James Reitmer, one of our staff guys here, was telling me earlier today, he was talking about a friend who was telling him a story about a person who had a python, a big snake. And this person felt comfortable enough to allow the python to leave its cage. And then the python started roaming around. And pretty soon the python found itself in the bed of this particular person. And I mean, it would the python would just go underneath the covers and and snuggle up next to her. And she said, Well, I just thought the snake was being friendly, but all of a sudden a couple of things started to happen. Number one, the snake stopped eating and she got concerned and she took the snake to the vet and the vet said, you know what the snake is doing? The snake is sizing you up and the snake has stopped eating because it's calculating the amount of room it's going to take in order to consume you. Let me tell you something. Reptiles don't snuggle up with you. And Satan doesn't snuggle up with you. When Satan Satan finds himself in the circumstances of going underneath the covers with you, it isn't for the purposes of snuggling up. It's for the purpose of figuring out how he's going to consume you. And the doubt leads to disobedience. And when you look at verse two, read it again. Then David arose and went over. You should underline that with the six hundred men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maoch, the king of Gath. Verse three. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, each man with his household and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, Jezreelitis, and Abigail, the Carmelitus and Nabal's widow. Look at it again. David arose. He went over. He dwelt. The gate of doubt opens directly onto the road of disobedience. And David... Earlier had called the men cursed who had driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord in chapter 26, verse 19. David's inheritance was in the land that was given to his father, Abraham, and given to his father, Isaac, and given to his father, Jacob, and given to his father, Judah. David deliberately leaves the land. He leaves the place of promise and he goes to the land of the Philistines problem? He doesn't belong there. And neither do you. God's called you out of the world and into his dear son. God has called you to live a life that is different, decidedly different. You've come out of darkness and into light. You've come out of death and into life. David's inheritance was never, ever going to be in Philistia. And he deliberately leaves. He went and and think about it. He takes everybody with him. David has no business leaving the place of promise, which is the land. And we have no place of leaving promise either. And for us, it isn't a land that we dwell in. It's a person who we know. You're never called to leave Jesus. Jesus is your Lord. He's your Savior. He's your life. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. David, earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 22, it says, Now the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Chapter 22, verse 5, depart, go to the land of Judah. The prophet said, go to Judah. Stay there. David has already sought refuge with the Philistines once. And remember the last time they sought refuge with the Philistines? He he wound up acting like a madman. He started foaming at the mouth and acting like a crazy person. Do you remember the last time you as a Christian pretended like you really weren't a Christian? The crazy things that you said and the crazy things that you did? Why in the world would you go back there? Remember, Gath is the city where Goliath is from. Achish is the king. Now the city is going to be witness to what takes place when a child of God leaves the communion of God. What do you mean? David's out of touch. Well, what do you mean? How do you know David is out of touch with God? We've already talked about it. Is David telling the truth? No. Is he doubting God? Yes. Has he asked God's permission to go to this place? No. Remember, he asked the Lord at Kylia. He went there out of doubt and fear. He trusted his emotions. He trusted his heart and his heart betrayed him. And when you trust your emotions and you trust your heart. Instead of what God says. You're in dangerous territory. Don't trust your emotions and don't trust your fear and don't trust your doubt. Trust the Lord. If you trust your fear and if you trust your doubt, you have a fool for a guide and for a counselor. Abraham escaped the famine by fleeing to Egypt. But there was no altar in Egypt for Abraham. And David leaves the place of promise and he goes into the land of Philistines. But this is a place where he can't play his lyre. This is not a place where he can play his harp. This is not a place where he can build an altar in the land of disobedience. There's no joy for you in the world. My friend, Greg Laurie, you've heard me say this over and over again. He calls the mugwumps. You know what a mugwump is. It's where your mug is on one side and your wump is on the other. You try to live in both worlds and you're not happy in either. Because you can't be used. Because God can't use you and the devil doesn't trust you. David makes a run for it. Psychologist Rollo May said, quote, Man is the only animal that runs faster when he's lost his way. And when we lose our way, how quickly we run from the Lord and we will run back to the world. And how great are the consequences? David takes his men. He takes his family. You may think that your doubt and your disobedience only affects you, but you would be wrong. Your doubt and your disobedience and your compromise will affect your whole family. No man. No woman is an island and the decisions that you make affect the people that you love and who love you. It was Chuck Swindoll who said, when you make a decision that is wrong, when you choose a course that's not God's plan, it affects those who trust you and depend upon you and those who look up to you and those who believe in you, though innocent, they become contaminated by your sinful choices. And that's exactly what's going to happen to David's family. And by the way, this little journey into darkness is going to have a forever effect on David's family and on David's leadership. Where does God ask you to remain? Where is the place that you're supposed to stay? Let me help you with this. Everyone should be able to begin their answer with this. God has asked me to remain in him. The Lord Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. You are to remain in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where else are you to remain? Hey, guess what? If you're married, you're to remain in your marriage. Has the Lord given you permission to leave your job? Perhaps. But whatever it is and wherever it is and whatever it is that you're supposed to to go before you determine where you're supposed to go, be willing to ask and answer this question. Where am I willing to stay? Before you ask the question, where am I willing to go? And look at verse four. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Saul is informed of David's decision to flee to the land of the Philistines. And Saul immediately backs off and Saul ceases looking for David. And David's disobedience, I suspect, gives David a false sense of security. And if you notice, that's what sin will do. Sin will tell you, back off. I just need to relieve some of the pressure. David may have thought, Saul, stopped hounding me. The pressure's finally off. Hey, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Sin may relieve the pressure for a moment. But make no mistake about it. It will heap guilt on the surface of your soul. You know, there are some things worse than the threats of enemies. David is in the wrong place. David is in the wrong place at the wrong time. David is in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong company. And when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong company, make no mistake about it, your life will become David's life. You will be forced to play the hypocrite and you will embrace disobedience and you will embrace deceit. And David finds himself a child of God in the land of the unbeliever. Can you think of a worse place to be? This is exactly the state of the Christian who leaves the fellowship of of the saints and who leaves the fellowship of the church and disconnects from fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is exactly what happens when a believer makes his way or her way into the world and starts hiding out into the world. And it may begin innocent enough. It's a trip to the movies with a friend. It's a trip to the bar for drinks, but you're not going to drink. You're just going to have some some something non-alcoholic. And then you find yourself making another another decision and another decision and another decision and another decision. We pay a huge price when we leave the joy and the warmth of obedience and fellowship and a right relationship with God through Christ Jesus and we exchange it for a brief period of carnality or wickedness in the world. And what you are doing is... The snake has joined you in your bed, not eating, cuddling up to you, trying to figure out just exactly how it's going to unhinge its mouth and swallow you whole. David's doubt leads to disobedience which leads to deception and duplicity. Look at verse five. Then David said to Achish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? Doubt leads to disobedience, which turns to deception. There's an old proverb. You've heard it. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's right. David wants to escape the eyes of the king's court. Now, think about this. He's in the land of rebellion and he's in the land of disobedience. But he has just enough of Jesus in his heart. That it's a little uncomfortable. The wickedness, the idolatry. David is not quite comfortable in the king's court. And he's not quite comfortable in the, with the pagans. He's not quite comfortable. And so he asks for his own personal space. But he does it in a really nice way. Hey, why should I live with you in the royal city? How about if I have my own little space? David's tired of wandering in the desert. If I might be so bold, and this might shock you, he's tired of wandering in the desert. He's tired of being a pilgrim. Would it be wrong to suggest that he might even be tired of trusting the Lord? Apparently. Have you ever woken up and and you said, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to trust you today. I don't know where I'm going to find the strength to trust you today. Maybe the fear has taken its toll. Maybe the fatigue is taking the toll. Maybe David is just plum tuckered out, as we used to say. There was a time when David would have taken the cleft of a rock or a dark, damp cave to, to the palace of a king. And David's disobedience has led to submission to the adversary's cause. And when we choose to live a life of rebellion and disobedience, we give in to the enemy's causes. We submit to the enemy. And we willingly serve the enemy. And David is trying to find a way to escape. And look what it says in verse 6. So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. So how do you find a place when you have no place? How do you find a place where you have no place. David isn't an undercover saint living in a world of sinners. He was never meant to be in this place. And Achish gives David Ziklag. Now, by the way, Ziklag is a town that's in the Negev. It's in the southern peninsula of the very edge of the wilderness as you're making your way south towards Egypt. God in His mercy and God in His grace is going to take Ziklag away from him in the next few chapters. And I want you to note something. Ziklag would once again be David's. God is going to return it to David, but only after it's been completely judged and completely destroyed. And we're going to see that in chapter 29 and chapter 30. Sometimes in the world, God may allow you to stay in a certain place. He may even allow certain circumstances to take place in that certain place. He might give you certain things in that certain circumstance, in that certain place, but God will take them away only to give them back when they've been judged and when they've been cleansed by fire. You may have no idea what I'm talking about. Let me help you understand. Is it possible that in rebellion and disobedience you wander to a place where you don't belong and there you encounter something that seems to have been given to you? And you have it for a season. But you have it under false pretenses and false circumstances. Don't be surprised if God takes it away from you. If God takes it away from you, though, make no mistake about it. He can judge. He can purify and he can restore the things that you've lost. Now, look at verse seven. It says, now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. Now, again, they had a lunar calendar of of like twenty nine to thirty days over twelve months and add twelve and four. What do we come up with? Sixteen months. Sixteen months. 16 months. David lives in Ziklag for over a year. And some Bible commentators have likened this period in his life to being earthbound or an earth dweller. Um, Bible writers talk about how David temporarily lost his focus on the things of heaven. And now he's living like an earthling. In other words, David's disobedience has caused him to enter into this long period of compromise. I got to tell you something. Life is more than smoking cigarettes and watching TV. And some of you know people exactly like that. What do you do? I smoke cigarettes and watch TV. What else do you do? That's pretty much my life. That's not a life. That was never meant to be your life. David is living his life. As if he isn't the future king of Israel. He's living his life as if none of the promises of God apply to him. He's living his life as if this earth is all that matters and that heaven is a meaningless thing. You might be thinking, well... No one will miss me if I'm not at church. No one will miss me if I embrace mindless entertainment. No one will care if I have a little fun. No one will care if I fool around. No one cares. And carnality and backsliding have a dangerous pull. One act of disobedience can lead to a series of sinful decisions. You know, most of us are only two bad decisions away from being on nine news. You might be thinking, what are th- what are those two bad decisions? Well, the first bad decision is no one will know. And the second bad decision is no one will care. When you start entertaining those two thoughts, no one will know. And no one will care. I'm sure Tiger Woods must have thought that at least some point. You know, that's the one bad thing about being such a famous person is you're humiliated in front of the whole world. And in verse 8 it says, And David and his men went up and raided the Gisharites, the Gerzites, or the Getzerites, and the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of... Egypt. Now think about what's happening. David is in the worst of all situations. He's a child of God. He's a future king living in the world. He doesn't want to offend his guests. But as long as he doesn't have a right relationship with God, he can't serve God. He can't witness for God. He can't worship God. And so how can David declare himself to be the son of Israel, the son of Judah in the land of the Philistines? How can we declare ourselves to be Christians in a world that is anti-Christian and even anti-Christ? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. So in order for David to declare for the God of Israel, to worship the God of Israel, to trust the God of Israel, to publicly declare his love and his loyalty to the God of Israel, he invites the antagonism and the fear and the suspicion of his host So if he starts to serve the Lord, it's going to bring fear and suspicion. And so what he starts to do is he attacks the perennial enemies of Israel. And he lies about it. Here's the net effect. David begins to lead a double life. One life is for the camera. And the other life is when no one is watching. Question. Is it hard to live a double life? Is it hard to pretend like you're an unbeliever in the world? And then all of a sudden switch gears and pretend like you're a believer in the church. And you're discontent in both places and you're miserable in both places. David leads a double life of deception and duplicity. He continues to fight the ancient enemies of Israel, all the while telling Achish that he's fighting his own people. And David deceives Achish into believing his own people um, that he's hurting his own people in Judah. As a matter of fact, the Amalekites, the Gishorites and the Gerzites, these are the ancient enemies of Israel. Most notably, the Amalekites are those people who Saul was told to completely annihilate for those nations were the inhabitants of the land. They weren't supposed to be there anyway. And look at verse 9. When, whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive. He took the sheep. He took the oxen. He took the donkeys. He took He He took the camels, he took the apparel, he returned and he came to Achish. And you have to understand something. In that world, when you conquered people, you took slaves because you could sell them into slavery. And that's what we're going to see in just a few chapters. But David couldn't leave anyone alive. Why? Because they could tell Akish, huh? They could tell Achish that he's living a double life. He's pretending to be the friend of the Philistines. He's pretending to be the enemy of Judah. He is not the friend of the Philistines. He's protecting Judah. And what happens when you lead a double life? You have to hide everything from everyone. You have to hide the checkbook from your wife or from from your husband. You have to... You have to make sure that you go onto your computer and delete the history as quickly as you can. You have to make sure that you cover your tracks. You have to make sure, oh, wait a minute, my cell phone is a GPS navigation unit. I'm leaving an electronic trail wherever I go. And you begin to lead this double life. You remember the song, those of you who are old enough to remember, there is the man who leads the life of danger. And everyone he meets, he calls him stranger. Because every movie he makes and every chance he takes, odds are he won't live to see tomorrow. That's what he's doing. He can't be honest with anyone. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. David deceives Achish into believing... And he comes to the conclusion down at the end. He has made his own people utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. That's exactly what Satan says. Christians don't trust you. God can't use you. I've made it so that you have no effective ministry whatsoever. If you live a life of. Doubt and despair and wickedness. This is exactly what the devil says. Doesn't this sound exactly like what Satan would say? He has made his own people utterly him. He will be my servant forever. Are you a Christian? Have you disgraced the Lord? The devil says, look, he or she has totally disgraced themselves before God and other Christians. He's mine. She's mine. How is this possible? How is it possible? How can the slayer of Goliath, the king's champion, now become the new servant of the king of the Philistines? Now, remember back in the story that you all remember as a child when David killed Goliath? Do you remember the the horrible statement that Goliath made as he came out and he challenged the armies of Israel? If you defeat me, We will be your servants. But if I defeat you, you will be my servant. Remember what David does? He takes the challenge so that the children of Israel would not have to become servants of the Philistines. And now he himself becomes the servant of the Philistines. Isn't that the most horrible position? You come to Christ, you turn to Jesus, you purpose in your heart to live for Jesus, to live for Jesus in your marriage, to live for Jesus in your family, to live for Jesus at your work. And all of a sudden now doubt has led to disappointment, which has led to disobedience, which has led to a place where you're ineffective. David is in prison. And he's become the prisoner of the enemy king. You know, Webster defines duplicity as deception by pretending. You pretend to feel one way. And you entertain another set of feelings. But in reality, you're feeling something different. And in his heart of hearts, David is a child of Israel, but he's trying to convince the Philistines that he's on their side. And the same is true of the Christian who deserts Christ and goes and lives in the world and looks like the world and acts like the world inside. You're a believer, but on the outside, there's this tremendous pressure to act like an unbeliever and the Christian who lives and acts like belief in Christ simply doesn't matter. Abandons loyalty to Jesus. And then you unmistakably feel the urge to compromise. And that's exactly what David does. In verse 9, whenever David attacked the land, he neither left man nor woman alive. You know what he's doing? It's genocide. He kills everyone. Murder. Duplicity leads to uncertainty and half truths and half lies. And the king says to David in verse 10, where have you been on your raid today? And David said, against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of the Jeromalites or against the southern area of the Kenites. Let me help you understand. This is a vast territory. Imagine someone asked me today, well, where were you today? And I said, I was in Arapahoe County. See, you're laughing because you're going to go, well, wait, that could be anywhere from Broadway all the way to the Nebraska border. Yeah, you know, somewhere in that area. It's pretty impossible to cover that whole area, isn't it? Where have you been? David says, well, you know, here, there and everywhere. Could you be a little more specific? David says, well, you know, sort of fighting against the people in Judah and sort of fighting against those people and sort of fighting against those people. But he's hiding his tracks. And by the way, isn't that true? Vague uncertainty. When when a person says things that are vague and uncertain, rest assured it's duplicitous. David Couldn't risk leaving a man or a woman or a child alive. He killed everyone to hide his tracks. And guess what? When you're carnal, when you're living a double life, when you're willing to lie about everything in order to protect what you think is important to you, you may do a great job of covering your tracks for a little while. And Achish believed, David... And your husband might believe you. Your wife might believe you. Your boss might believe you. Your church might believe you. But David can't be satisfied spiritually living in the wilderness and he can't be satisfied wandering in the desert and he can't be satisfied pretending that he doesn't believe what he in fact really does believe. And David will be in this dark and empty hole all the way to chapter 30. The world smiles at us. And then the world attempts to enslave us. The snake cuddles up next to you. But make no mistake about it. A reptile doesn't cuddle up to you in order to keep warm. David will eventually emerge from his net of disobedience and deceit and doubt. But it's going to cost him so much. David dishonors God. David disobeys God. Not only does he dishonor God and disobey God, but he also damages his own testimony. The land of the Philistines was a land of idolatry and wicked and corrupt priests. It wasn't God's people and it wasn't God's land. And David allowed their influence and their presence to affect his family. And to affect his friends. And that rebellion will reemerge. Now David has to lie, and now David has to cheat, and now David has to steal, and now David has to murder. But it began with doubt, which led to disobedience. David's depression depression and discouragement led him to defect. So what about you? What about you? It's not necessarily wrong to feel empty or to feel hurt or to feel despair or to feel depression or to feel the raw emotional circumstances that come in every single life that David will allow the pressure to defeat him and he will allow his emotion to cause him to defect from the true and living God. And the scripture seems to give us a timeline that it lasts over about 16 months. And so when we face depression, we can't allow it to dictate how we're going to live. Satan told David a lie. And you know what the lie was? There's no hope for your future. And David believed it. But make no mistake about it. It was a lie. What does your future hold? The promises of God. The majesty of friendship and fellowship with God. Forgiveness with God. Friendship and fellowship. Walking in the light of Doubt led to disobedience and disobedience led to self-deception. And you know what the real problem with self-deception is? You become a willing participant. Don't find your refuge in liars. Don't find your refuge in the unsaved. Don't find your refuge in the unbelieving. Find your refuge in David's son. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. God has a plan and a purpose for David. And God's plan and purpose is going to come to fruition. David's son is still on the horizon. David's son must come. Your future's not that far away. God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. And it isn't for you to go to hell. It's for you to go to heaven. It isn't for you to live a life of darkness and emptiness. But to live a life of light and love and forgiveness and hope. There's going to be pressure. But don't allow the pressure to turn to doubt. And the doubt to turn to disobedience. And the disobedience... To turn to deception. Make sure you hear. David's son. Speaking to you. Remain in him. Remain in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord we know the scriptures say. If we abide in you. And you abide in us. We can ask what we will. And it shall be done unto us. Lord, we want to live in light and we want to live in love and we want to live in hope and we want to live in forgiveness. We want to have a guilt free conscience. Lord, I pray for the person who, for whatever reason, may have been foraging out there in the world. Lord, I pray that they would stop what they're doing and immediately return home. Lord, I know that even now the devil whispers in their ear, oh, you don't belong with Jesus. But Lord, we know that the truth is they do belong with Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would examine their heart. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't allow the darkness or the despair or the discouragement to cause them to believe lies about themselves or about others. Lord, I pray that we would cry out to You. That we would believe what John wrote, that if we confess our sin, that You're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that we have the freedom to cry out to You and ask You the question, where do You want me to stay? And where do You want me to go? Lord, just like James wrote, if any of us lack wisdom, You're willing to give it to us. Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom to that man or that woman who has to make hard decisions about their family. Hard decisions about their work. Hard decisions about their future. And Lord, I pray that they would find themselves right in the middle of friendship and fellowship with you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his love. We thank you for his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. We thank you, thank you, thank you that because of David's son, we can live in light instead of darkness. We can live in truth instead of deception. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's it.